0: Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's Maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, the story of a boat has much more than just a boat. It has helped over 7,000 drug and alcohol users towards rehabilitation.
1: This was a great success, great community success, made possible by a number of factors. The maritime heritage which rings in the traditional boat building and then the vision of community activists.
0: A wonderful achievement through the wonder of the sea
2: and the use of a sailing boat and an offer from Fisheries Ireland. Would you like to spend your summer in some of Ireland's most beautiful locations, patrolling, protecting and enhancing our lakes, rivers and waterways? At Inland Fisheries Ireland we are in the middle of our seasonal recruitment campaign for the role of fisheries officers.
0: This Island Nation is Ireland's Maritime Radio Show, a reflective programme about the sea coming to you through the Community Radio Network from the studios of CRY-104F Ebignolle on the East Cork coastline, bringing together the maritime community around Ireland. Through community activity, great achievements can be made. The Rin Voyager project is one of those, emanating from the Dublin riverside communities of Ringsend and Poolbeg, areas which resonate with seafaring history and pride in marine tradition. It has helped over 7,000 users of the Drug and Alcohol Task Force project in Dublin. The blue hulled Rin Voyager, a sailing catch, shows what can be achieved through the sea for many people. Dennis Murphy is the project manager. Well,
1: there's a great sense of pride, Tom, uh, within the community. Uh, we're certainly proud of Poolback Training, which is the, the, the project, and the Rin Voyager, then, is as, as a result of the project. Uh, this was a great success, great community success. Uh, community success uh, made possible by a number of factors firstly the maritime heritage beat, with rings end, the tradition of boat building and then the, 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 the vision of community activists um, the late Captain Philip Murphy was a captain with our shipping and he and uh, Charlie Murphy who was a merchant seaman for years then the late John Farrell also a merchant seaman for years and another community activist Mary Lawless and um, these got together and approached FOSS at the time in the early 90s for funding to set up a community youth training programme. FOSS agreed through the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment project was set up. Um, the, the project, uh, the Voyager was built then by, by unemployed tradesmen. In the 90s there was recession time as well. And um, early school leavers then from Regal House, which was a, a, a community workshop. So there's a combination of of old skilled shipwrights, welders, uh, painters, uh, carpenters, uh, electricians and then the young, the young lads wanting a chance so that's how the project started off funding was received. And of course
0: Ring's End has a marvellous reputation I mean the whole part of Dublin Ring's End, the maritime tradition the docks, the boat building everything, exactly. the Galway Hookers even were dependent on Ring's End for a long while
1: That's right, yeah, so where else would it start and where else would it be a success with the, with the skill set that was there and the experience and the, the elder uh, statesmen with the with the younger generation being shown the ropes. Many of those young people got apprenticeships with Dublin Port as a result of being on the project.
0: The pride in the Rin Voyager is very obvious from the from the, the celebrations he had to mark the 25th year. There's been huge achievements in the sail training, the getting of young people in. It's a great community
1: effort. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, no more so than than the, the young people getting involved being mentored by those people with the skills and those skills are not written down so it's very difficult for them to be passed on to the next generation but so much was done with those mentoring the younger people and as I said a lot of those young people some of them were given apprenticeships with Dublin Port after saving the time with the shipwrights and producing this magnificent 42 foot uh, sailing catch you know
0: And you kept it going despite the fact that at times funding from state agencies like FOSS was cut. The community got together and you kept it going.
1: We kept it going. The funding did cease from uh, FOSS through through local government um, decision-making at the time with the recession. But the project uh, board decided to approach the South Inner City Drugs Task Force And in 2006, funding was received from the task force to facilitate the RIN Voyager being used as an aftercare rehabilitation for those recovering from addiction and young people at risk of addiction. So the the task force have supported a project now since 2006. That fascinates
0: me because... It shows the sea can be used for so many things. That training, people trying to get out of drug addiction mm-hmm. and that, using the sea in a boat for that is, is a great story.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they're in a different environment. They're, they're, they're on the drugs, in the various drug projects, and then they go out at sea, and to, to survive at sea, you have to have teamwork together. So they they they, they use that facility and gain different experiences, which is something that they wouldn't have gained. So it's, it's good for the projects, it's good for the clients as well.
0: And she looks very well equipped. You haven't, you haven't spared on the equipment on her, obviously.
1: No, no, she's fully licensed, as I said. Did, she's had a, a reform in 2002, built in ninety two, ninety three. 93 A reform in 2002, funding put, put into her, and that funding was received through... Dublin Docklands Development Authority. At the time, we we've no problems with seeking corporate social responsibility, and a lot of them are happy to to give it. Dublin Port has been the main uh, supporter. Uh, as I said, they provided the the, the big workshed, They provided tradesmen, and they gave the young lads apprenticeships, which was very important. And last year, to do the attain the passenger boat license from the Department of Marine they support us with financial aid and the use of their tradesmen to work alongside our skipper and, and his mate, the mate is, is Larry Scully, he's a former uh, port fitter and Adrian Martin is a skipper and he's a former port uh, tug tugmaster and he was a merchant seaman as well so it's steeped in the tradition and the people that are on her, using working her, are people steeped in the tradition of, of boats and sea so
0: You've a magnificent, then, mingling of onshore support, the administration, people like yourself who keep it going and the people who are at sea who keep that tradition going. And then you've the, the whole tradition, like you were saying, of the, the working on it, the, the boat-building skills, which are obviously, say, beginning to deteriorate and disappear exactly. if they're not kept
1: going. Exactly. That's, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, it's always the problem. And, you know, volunteerism is... is, is Often not appreciated as much as it should be, the local people in Ringsend who gave up their time to do this and brought their skills they had to it, and had the vision and negotiated with it, the various government departments to get the funding. I mean that's, that's something you, that's something lately which is under threat, yeah, and it needs to be kept kept going. You know. And finally,
0: Dennis, 25 years looking back, there's no doubt it has been a success.
1: The future? The future, well, we would hope to continue with the task force support and with the support from Dublin Port. Um, we, we'd have no problem with any other company wanting to get involved through their co- so, corporate social responsibility uh, policies. Uh, to we, we would love to have, add to our fleet of one, another in Voyager, in Voyager 2, uh, and continue this work. We, we we through the through the national drug strategy, uh, supporting recovery, reducing harm. We we intend to make the RIN Voyager available for seven months of the year. We, we've added a month on, so we're now going to operate between April to the end of October, as we now have the required license from the from the department. Um, and we're also going to look at. Uh, the community training centers for youth a lot of that, that youth are at risk the youth reaches and we're opening up the project to for them to avail of of the project possibly bring out the coordinators and managers of the ctc's and youth reaches um, to do some team building work and then facilitate the young people to come out then then afterwards yeah so that's for the future so hopefully there's someone out there will will fund uh, a second round Voyager, or
0: hopefully, and we should say finally, she's kept down at Pool Bank. Pool Bank, a marvellous, a marvellous Mars piece facility. of a great yeah. club.
1: Absolutely, yeah, a great another great local uh, success. You know, um, all, all of the local, the, the St Patrick's Rowing Club, Stella Mara's Rowing Club, the the yacht club itself. I mean, the the amount of history that's there to be tapped into, and the skills that's there with the people, it's 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 marvellous.
0: Indeed, it is a great project, and I remember former Minister Rory Quinn talking about it many years ago and helping with that idea of the sea, underlining the value of the sea and what can be achieved through it. The RNLI is replacing its older lifeboats fleet with new boats to create a faster and more efficient fleet. Head and Wicklow are the next stations which will see these changes. Clare Head in County Louth is to get one of the Shannon class while a change in Wicklow will see the last of the Tyne class lifeboats leave Ireland. Neil Stevenson, Public Affairs Manager with the RNLI in Ireland reports these changes.
3: There is a lot of work going on at RNLI stations this year both in terms of lifeboats and the slightly less glamorous but nevertheless important work of putting the right infrastructure in to support them. Those in the lifeboat community know that Clara Head ornolai are eagerly awaiting arrival of a new Shannon class lifeboat. After exceeding their Shannon fundraising community appeal target through some of the most incredible and ingenious fundraising feats, they had the pleasure of announcing their new arrival to the world, and the Ornolai has a lovely way of marking this. At precisely 12 noon on a January afternoon, eight bells rang out over Pool, announcing to the world that Lifeboat 1331 was in the water for the first time. The lifeboat is due to arrive in Clare on the 7th of June, and I'd advise everyone attending to book the next day off work. There'll be some celebrations for that. The station was represented at the All Weather Lifeboat Centre by Declan and Oral Elevens, Noel and Alice Phillips, Martin and Emily Hodgkins, and station mechanic, Porigrath. It's gonna be busy in Wicklow or in Alipu with comings and goings over the next few months. Wicklow will also be receiving a Shannon class lifeboat soon. It's a relief one, which will be replacing their Tyne all-weather lifeboat. This is a huge occasion as its departure will see the last operational Tyne lifeboat in the Oranali leave service. It's lovely to see an Irish station have that honour. The Tyne class lifeboat was the first slipway launch lifeboat and introduced into the Oranali fleet in 1982. The last Tyne was built in 1990. We have been replacing our Tyne class lifeboats with Tamer class lifeboats originally, but now with the Shannon as part of our plans for a faster and more efficient 25 knot all weather lifeboat fleet. Finally, the RNLI is carrying out bag training with its community safety volunteers. In partnership with Wexford Marine Watch, the initiative aims to give local community groups and businesses the opportunity to understand the dangers of the local waterways and gain the knowledge, skills and confidence they need to be able to recover someone from the water and report the rescue. This is such a simple life-saving device and anyone can be trained up in it. We hope this pilot is successful and that many more businesses and landside premises look to use it in future. Until next time, safe harbors and calm seas.
0: Liam Stevenson reporting from the RNLi, where this year the station at Baltimore and West Cork will be marking its centenary, and also on the Cork coastline, the Crosshaven station in Cork Harbour, which is one of the busiest in the country with its inshore lifeboat, is looking for volunteers. Now, Justin Marr has a roundup of other maritime news from home and overseas waters.
4: Trevor, the world's loneliest duck, has died as he lived, alone in a puddle. He was the only duck on the small West Pacific island of Nui, population around 1600. Live Science website report that he was found dead in his roadside puddle, probably after being attacked by a dog. Trevor rose to modest internet fame last year after an editor from the New Zealand Herald newspaper visiting the island discovered that he landed there after a storm. Local people fed him and the island's fire department occasionally refilled his puddle. Trevor was reportedly named after New Zealand's parliamentary speaker, Trevor Mallard. This next story features some sounds that you may find unpleasant. This is the sound of mid-frequency active sonar. It generates a very loud pulse between 1,000 and 5,000 hertz, with a pulse duration of approximately 18 seconds. It's used for submarine detection less than 10 kilometres away and provides more detailed information than its low-frequency counterpart. Spanish researchers from the University of Las Palmas de Gran Canaria have identified a link between a ban on the use of sonar in waters around the Canary Islands 15 years ago and a reduction in whale strandings in the same region. It suggests that vulnerable deep-diving species, such as beet whales, respond to the stress of sonar pulses by fleeing to deeper waters, putting them at an increased physical risk from the increasing pressures below. The scientists have recommended a ban on mid-frequency active sonar, where mass strandings are prevalent. Sonar systems, first developed by the U.S. Navy to detect enemy submarines, generate sound waves up to 235 decibels. In comparison, the world's largest rock band can reach up to 130 decibels. There have been claims that seaborne military exercises using sonar are a threat to marine wildlife, and in particular beaked whales, of which species there were mass strandings in Scottish and Irish waters last year. World sailing history was made this week when 73-year-old French sailor Jean-Luc Vanden Heed became the oldest man ever to complete a solo round-the-world race when on Tuesday morning he arrived back at Les Sables d'Olon in France from where he had started the Golden Globe race 212 days before. The French veteran sailor had led the race since August and showed his ability and determination in his mid-70s, which should put to shame advocates of ageism and underline that sailing really is a sport for all ages. Finally, the Irish inshore fishery sector has devised the first blueprint for its own development. This was done in partnership with the Department of the Marine through the National Inshore Fisheries Forum. It has set up objectives for implementation with the support of the State Fisheries Development Agency, Board Ishiwara.
0: Austin reporting, And next, to the offshore islands, where the sense of community is particularly strong. Rhoda Twombly reports the latest news from Kogol Ilona Heron, the Islands Federation, with concern about what the islanders claim is discrimination against their education systems.
5: A belated happy St. Bridget's Day to all. The day brought one of the most serene and majestic landscapes I have seen for quite some time. The mighty Crow Patrick to the south, snow capped, beaming, reflected sunlight, and the Neffin Mountains to the northeast, seeming to lounge under its frosty blanket. And in the middle is Clue Bay, mirroring blue skies unruffled by any breeze. How great to be an islander, especially on these magical days. Two issues relating to education on islands are hugely worrying. Niamh Kyo, principal of the National School on Ilan Clara, notes that the 2018 report on challenges facing island schools from the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Education and Skills found that attracting teaching staff to island communities in particular is a widespread and difficult challenge. Disincentives, including financial and logistical obstacles, serve to discourage applicants. The abolition of allowances for teachers in Glialtukton Island communities in 2012 is one such disincentive. While these allowances aren't substantial, they help support island teachers. These basic schemes are a critical part of the foundation for other language, education and cultural schemes. If teachers are not supported and suffer disadvantage from or lacking recognition for teaching in island and Gaelic schools, the vibrancy of schools as central loci for the continuation of cultural and language heritage will inevitably be undermined. Koga has sent a letter, as yet unanswered, to Education Minister McHugh voicing concern caused by continued lack of payment of the DES Irish and Bilingual Grant for post-primary schools to any of the island schools. Uniquely, among all the funding streams for these schools, it appears that this grant of €103 per pupil is not available to any multi-denominational community, comprehensive, or ETB school in Ireland teaching through Irish, including Gaelic schools. It is only given by the department to church or religious order-owned voluntary, secondary, post-primary schools teaching through Irish. Ireland's got a good mention in the recent ETB conference in Carlow with several island-based principals and deputy principals in attendance. The conference called on ETBI to meet with government to impress upon them the equality issues arising from denying the Irish and bilingual grant to disadvantaged Gaelic schools, including all five island post-primary schools. This calls into question whether Ireland is complying with either the letter or the spirit of Article 174 Lisbon Treaty regarding island sustainability. I had never heard of Robert Burns' night being celebrated on our islands, but it is greatly enjoyed and embraced on Aranmore and Donegal. There's a strong ulster Scott influence on the island and a long history of Aranmore people working in Scotland. Bear Island will launch a community radio station this month. Part of the EU-funded grassroots wavelength program, BEAR will utilize a broadcasting system using mobile phones and basic short-range transmitting equipment. The project is looking for more participants, so if you think your community would like to join in, please contact John Welch, Development Officer on BEAR Island. While we welcome in the spring season, it is Slán for now from the islands.
0: Rhoda Twombly reporting, and presumably a new voice coming on the community airwaves down in Bear Island. And I hear that Alec Brownpipe, major of the Aaron Moore Pipe and Drum Band, started the Burns supper festivities three years ago on that island. And that his recitation of a note to a haggis before a supper featuring the Scottish National Dish is wonderful to hear. Now, Miles Kelly joins us from Fisheries Ireland. Angling is the biggest participant sport in the country, so I'm told and seeing the number of people quietly fishing on the banks of the river near my home in Cork each weekend, I marvel at their patience and dedication.
2: Hello to all the anglers listening in. Miles Kelly from Inland Fisheries Ireland, here again to give a quick roundup of the news from the world of fishing. We'll start with salmon angling. And since our last report, some more fisheries started their seasons anew. In Kerry... The Laun and Loch Coran opened on January 17th, but apart from a few Celts, no salmon were met that day. Fortunes changed with the new month, and February 1st saw Michael Dwyer catch the kingdom's first salmon of the year, a lovely 10-pound springer from Loch Coran. February 1st also saw the Munster Blackwater open. Unfortunately, the river was high and rising on the day. It was more a brown water than a black water. Nonetheless, a good number of anglers turned out to their favourite haunts, Fishing was done in respect of opening day, rather than in any real hope of catching a salmon. For most, it was all about the ceremony and marking the moment. Many toasted the river with the nip of something strong, while others took a moment to pray for a good season, old friends, and the safe return of both salmon and fishermen alike. Up at the very top of Connemara, though, the Delphi fishery had better luck on February 1st. The fisheries open day was more than ceremonial, and German angler Matthias Ader caught a beautiful Springer that weighed in at a fine fourteen pounds three ounces. The fish was lightning fresh, and the photos of the capture looked incredible. It was a sun-drenched scene with blue skies and snow-covered mountains, like something from the Alps, in the background, and the silver fish, smiling angler, and green grass in the foreground. In a couple of weeks, the first of the trout lakes will be open, and on Loch Carb in particular, there will be a lot of excitement. Anglers will travel from all corners of the country to get back into the swing of fly fishing for bars of gold. But it is an especially special day for Galway's anglers. Fly anglers will concentrate on using small lures of fur and feather like the minke, which imitates a small fish, while others may troll a plug or spinner in order to tempt the hungry trout, which will be feeding hard at this time of year. They will not have eaten much since spawning in the rivers at the end of last year, and they return to the lakes ravenous, their golden flanks still rich with the reds and oranges of their spawning livery. Charter boat fishing from the Clare coast went right to the wire last year, with trips to sea as late as December 30th. Eager anglers had to wait a while to get out in 2019 due to weather and sea conditions, but the first trip out from the Banner County this year was on the 2nd of February. The Lady Gwen took to the waves in beautiful sunshine under the careful hand and watchful eye of skipper Sean Maguire. Her anglers enjoyed catching pollock and dogfish, but only because they were wrapped up warm. It might have been a sunny day, but it was still biting cold on the Atlantic. With that, we'd like to remind any anglers taking to riverbanks, lakes or sea to ensure they are prepared for cold weather and to avoid risks by planning ahead. Check the forecast, know the tides and above all, wear a life jacket if you are going afloat, wading or fishing from steep banks. Would you like to spend your summer in some of Ireland's most beautiful locations, patrolling, protecting and enhancing our lakes, rivers and waterways? At Inland Fisheries Ireland, we're in the middle of our seasonal recruitment campaign for the role of fisheries officers. These six-month contract roles are an excellent opportunity to spend your summer outdoors helping to patrol and protect and enhance the rivers, lakes and waterways of our beautiful country. The roles are nationwide and are located across our six river basin districts. If you think you have what it takes and would like to see a full job description and find out how to apply, visit fisheriesireland.ie slash careers. Once again, fisheriesireland.ie slash careers. That's all from me. Say fishing to all and don't forget CPR says fish.
0: Miles Kelly of Fisheries Ireland and an interesting job's over. And in our next edition, we'll have the story of the last Irish ship to be sunk during the First World War. She was completely forgotten about in many ways and overshadowed by uh, bigger tragedies like the RMS Leinster, which happened only ten days before. But between uh, the sinking of the Leinster to the St. Barking, there were a number of other ships sunk as well, so she was the very, very last one. And what's uh, important about it from my perspective was that a relative of my own was on board it from Inishown, and his next door neighbour as well, so it has quite a lot of resonance up around Greencastle, Shrove area of Inishon. The story of the Aether Sparkon in the next edition of This Island Nation. The maritime program produced at C R Y 104 FM Yole on the East Cork coastline, with production and technical supervision by Justin Marr. And the programme is broadcast through the Community Radio Network around Ireland in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio, and Kinvari FM, in Clare on Radio Kokaboshkane and in Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM You can also listen to our podcast now on iTunes, Mixcloud and Soundcloud and a special edition for visually impaired listeners through the National Council for the Blind Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. You can contact the program on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com or by phone or text to 0872 That's email thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 Five 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 one nine seven, and every week you can read the This Island Nation blog on our Facebook page. Until our next program, from me, Tom McSweeney. The usual wish of fair sailing.